well, you know, God is in control. He always is. He always provides and protects. That's the way he is. Even even when we as his people are in trouble, there's problems, uh, we can rest in God. Think about the Bible and some of the people. You think about Daniel. Daniel was sold into slavery, but God protected him. Daniel was, was hated, but God protected him. God raised him up to a great position of leadership. You think of David. David was hated by Saul and chased by Saul, but still became the king and raised up to a great position. You think of Noah, who was ridiculed by the people because he spent 120 years building a, a boat in the middle of nowhere in which people would say, what do you need a boat for? And he said, it was going to rain. Oh, yeah, sure. Anyway, but I mean, think about it, right? And then tonight, another person, God in his sovereign plan is protecting and providing. And that's Joseph. And if you just you think about it, Joseph, in fact, he's one of the, besides the fact, if you, if you disregard the fact that he was sort of a, a tattletale, other than that, everything Joseph did was pretty much right. He trusted God in everything. I mean, when his brother sold him into slavery and when he's working for Potiphar, he does everything right. When he gets thrown into prison, he does everything right. When he gets going back, gets put back with the Pharaoh, he does everything right. When he's raised to a position of leadership, he does everything right. He was an amazing man. And he's a young man. He's not an older man. He's a young man when all this happens. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about his age when we get over there, uh, when he gets raised up to position of leadership. He's a young man. Great wisdom by him. Well, as we look at the rest of chapter 37, because we actually saw the first 17 or 18 verses, well, I actually saw a little bit more than that. We'll just go back and get a little review. We see that Joseph is hated by his brothers and sold into slavery into Egypt. God will protect him. God has a plan. God has a plan to save the nation of Israel. You say, save them from what? What's coming? What's coming in the next years? A famine. And not only that, one of the reasons that you look at chapter 38 that most people wonder about is we see what Judah does. And if everybody did what Judah does, there might not be a nation of Israel. It's almost like God says, I better get them out of here before they all do what Judah does. That's what we'll see next time. As we begin, let's remember where we are. Jacob has returned from the promised land, excuse me, to the promised land. Isaac has died. Jacob and Esau have buried him. We see the listing, in fact, chapter 36 is the listing of the descendants of Esau. And as we moved into chapter 37, he actually gets the whole idea of that Joseph. And, and remember the flow, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons. But of the 12 sons, Joseph is not the oldest. Joseph's really, besides Benjamin, he's the youngest. He's, in fact, he's the son of Jacob's old age. And uh, his wife, Rachel, his favorite wife, it's kind of a strange thing to say, but he had, as we know, he had, had a number of wives, not just his favorite wife, but he had a number of wives uh, because of the way things worked out there. But she died giving birth to the other son, Benjamin. So uh, that's it. Pro there's problems in the family. We've seen it all along that Jacob shows favoritism. And not only did he show favoritism among the wives, he showed favoritism among the children. Joseph is favored above all the others. And so we've seen that. Why is he hated? Think about this. He's hated because Joseph told on his brothers. We see that he's hated because he's favored by his dad. He's hated because, God, because his daddy gave him a special coat. He's hated because of his dreams. Let's think about him for just a second. First thing, why is he hated? Because he told of evil. Look at chapter 37. Look at verse 2. It says, Now these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. Now he's 17 years old. 
along with his son, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wife and Joseph. Now watch, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. He comes back to his dad and says, "You want to, you want to, you want to know what those other boys are doing? You want to know what they're doing?" Now we look at that and it almost looks like he's a tattletale, but look what it says. He brought back a bad report. They were doing something wrong. They were doing evil. Listen, have these have these boys done evil before? What have they done? They killed all these people in Shechem. They went up to the city of Shechem. A couple of them killed everybody there. We're not sure what they were doing. He just brings a bad report back to the father. Second thing is that he's favored by his dad. Look at verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. He favored him, loved him more than the others. When there's favoritism, there's always problems. And I guarantee you, everybody knew who was the favorite one. Look, everybody knew that Jacob loved Rachel better than any of these other women. Everybody knows that he loves Joseph better than any other sons. Now, all of you in families think, how, how is it when one person is favored above the rest? Doesn't work very good, does it? Everybody, Nobody's happy about this. And so he is, he's hated because he's favored. The third thing is he's given that special coat. Notice the end of verse 3. It says, and, and he made him a very colored tunic. The way the Hebrew is written, you know, people have always said that it's a coat of many colors and a multicolored coat and all that. We're not really sure. In fact, the Hebrew word just really means a long robe. Uh, but somehow it, it's been translated a lot of things like very colored or it's very something special. It was a coat that basically set him apart. And so as he wore that, everybody else looked at it and went, where did he get that? Uh, Dad gave this to me, which means I'm the most special one. And then last but not least, he had these dreams. And he had two dreams. If you remember, look at verse 4. His brothers saw that their father loved them more than all the others, and they hated him, and they wouldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers that hated him even more. And he said, listen to my dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, all your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And the brothers said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for the dreams and for his words. So we can already see that he had this dream that his sheaf stood up, everybody else has bowed down. So what he was saying to them is, you will all bow down to me. Now, that doesn't make friends, you know, especially they're older. He's 17, 18 years old, and he's saying, you will bow down to me, I will rule. They said, you think you're going to rule over us? Well, that wasn't the end of the dream. He had another dream in, in verses 9, 10, and 11. Now, he still had another dream related to his brothers and said, lo, I had another dream. You can see him say, yeah, thanks for your dreams. And he says, behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, what we realize is the sun represents his father and the moon represents his mother and the eleven stars are his eleven brothers. He says they're all bound down. He related it to his father and to his brothers and his fathers rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves before uh, down before you to the ground? So the second dream, which they hated him about, was that everybody was going to bow down to him. Is it true that one day they all bowed down to him? They did, because he, he was number two in Egypt. Number two. Out of all the people in the whole Egypt, and all of the leaders besides Pharaoh, who was considered a god, Joseph becomes number two. It's amazing. And his brothers, without even knowing it was Joseph, bowed down to him. You can almost see Joseph, who's been talking 
uh, like an Egyptian, walking like an Egyptian, talking like an Egyptian. And there's no telling what he was doing. And when they were there, they bowed down to him. You can almost see him stop talking like an Egyptian and say, I told you you're going to bow down to me, didn't I? They didn't recognize him. He looked like an Egyptian. He did. So we're going to see something that happens tonight that will change Joseph's life forever. You know, sometimes in our lives there are things that happen and you look back and you say, you know, that was really a, that was a change. That was a turning point. That was something that is never the same after that. I mean, you look at the life of David, right? His, his, his sin with Bathsheba, it was never the same after that. Never the same. Even though he's still a man after God's own heart, a man that lived for God and everything else, it never was the same. Never was. Here's the event. His father sends him to meet his brothers. They're taking care of their flock, and Jacob sends him to check on his brothers. And, uh, in fact, uh, look at verse 12. His brothers went to pastor their father's flock in where? Shechem? Man. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock in Shechem? Come, and I'll send you to them. And he said, Okay, I'll go. So he sends him up there. Now, two key things happen tonight. They sell him into slavery, and they deceive Jacob. It's actually a sad passage. You know, sometimes in the Bible, when we read through these things, there are a lot of sad things. The Bible doesn't cover up anything. It doesn't make everything all happy and joyous and everything. Sometimes there's a lot of joy and great things. And, and, and you know, we talked to somebody the other day. It was really funny. We were talking about the Bible and about the ending and about the end times and about all the events that's happening in the world today. And the guy said, well, you know, one thing, I looked at the end and we win. You know, I looked at the end. And it's true. There's great happiness there where we see the new heavens and the new earth and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ is the King, and we rule and reign in righteousness, all that great stuff. But there's also the Bible never covers up anything. It just tells the truth, and it tells what happens. So let's see what happens. See, his father sends him, and he's coming. And his brother, he's, they moved to Dothan. They went from Shechem to Dothan. And when Joseph went up to Shechem, he's, he's looking around. And the guy says, what you looking for? He said, well, I'm looking for my brothers. And the guy said, oh, oh, I heard him say they were going to Dothan. Dothan, the name Dothan, you know what Dothan means? It means two pits. That's what Dothan means. How do you like to live in two pits? But that's it. You know, so they live there. That's Dothan. And so they've gone to Dothan. So he's going to go up there and find them. Look at verse 18. When they saw him from a distance... And before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Now, that's a really strong statement. Now, these are brothers. They're, they're unique and special. Let me tell you why. Because they know something. They know that Abraham had been chosen by God to, to bring in a people, a people group, that would be that through this people group they would have a land, they would have offspring. They would have a Messiah, a Savior come through them. They knew that. That's the promise to Abraham. Same promise was made to Isaac. Same promise was made to Jacob. That's their, that's their daddy. These boys know that God has chosen them as a people group. And that they are unique. And that God will take them and use them. But look what they decide to do on one of their people groups, so to speak. Now, listen, there's not very many of them right now. You talk about the nation of Israel. There's, there's Jacob, whose name, whose name is Israel, and they've got the 12 sons, and they've got a daughter, and they've got some others, and then they've got these other people. But if you start counting them all up, when you find out when they go down to Egypt, which is going to be toward the end of this book, how many of them is there? 70 to 75. That's it. They go in with 75, they come out with how many? 
Two million. Two million. They go to Egypt, become slaves, and come out as two million people. They come out as a nation. God forged them as a nation in Egypt. They go in as a family. They come out as a people group. So watch what happens. They saw him from a distance, and before he came close, they plotted against him to put him to death. That's the plan. They want to kill him. You know, if we kill him, he'll never dream again. Because <laughs> we don't like his dreams. So notice, verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. They, they, uh, they, they, they are so angry about him saying that they're going to bow down to him. He's the youngest one other than Benjamin. He thinks he's the smartest. His daddy's giving him everything. We don't get anything. We don't even like him. And he told on us. And so let's kill him. Verse 20. Now then come, let us kill him. Throw him into one of the pits. Remember, Dotha means two pits. There were two pits there. Throw him in the pits and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let's see what will become of his dreams. Well, they're going, to, they're going to do two things bad. One is they're going to kill him. And the second is they're going to lie. I mean, that's their plan. They're going to kill him and they'll lie about it. And so they said, let's kill him and throw him in the pits. And, and well, let's throw him in the pit and then let's, you know, let's kill him. And then we'll just tell him, we'll, we'll tell Dad that, a, that an animal ate him up that killed him. And that'll be the last of the dreams. See, if he's dead, he can't rule over us. Because that's his plan, to rule over us. And we're not going to let him do that. But notice something. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his life. Now, who is Reuben? He, he's the oldest son. There's Reuben, Levi, Simeon, and Judah. That's the first four. And Reuben, um, Reuben has not done so great so far, has he? Does anybody remember what he did? He slept what? Yeah, he slept, he slept with his father's concubine that's not a good that's not a good thing okay let's just say that right off that's you're not supposed to do that in fact by doing that was several several implications but one of them was i'm taking over the family that's what he's really saying so he's in trouble and he knows he's been in trouble and 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 but he decides he says listen reuben heard this and he rescued him out of the hand he said let's let's not kill him let's not kill him why would he do this? Well, I think that he's already done wrong, and he knows that his father is against him. He thought, maybe, maybe if I save his life, and I bring him back to dad, and I say, I saved his life, what could happen? I might get back on the, the good side with dad. That might be my only hope. So that's probably what I'm going to do. So uh, he's the head of the brothers anyway. They'll have to take his lead. So what does he do? So Reuben heard this, and he rescued him out of their hand. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Don't kill him. Throw him into this pit that is in, this, in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. Now, there's a little parenthesis part here that says that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So here was the plan. Reuben was thinking through this thing, and he said, well, no, let's don't kill him. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's just throw him in the pit. And we're just leaving him down in the pit. All the while he says, okay, after we get him in the pit, I'll go sneak back. I'll get him out of the pit. I'll take him back to Dad. Then I'll look good. I'll look good. Because he'll tell, he, he tell, he'll tell the truth. He'll tell on every one of us. And he'll say to Daddy that I'm the one that saved his life. So that's my plan. My plan is let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. And then what I'll do is I'll sneak back and rescue him and take him back to Dad. Well... They all thought it was a good idea. They said, okay, that's a great idea. So it came about that when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. Can you imagine? How do you think, what do you think it looked like? 
they're all sitting there waiting, and he comes up, and just as about the time he gets there, they kind of all kind of stand up, and he might have said, hey, I've been looking for y'all, Dad wants to know what's going on, and all of a sudden they jump on him. And they probably beat him up pretty good. They tear off his, his special tunic and, and and then they throw him in a hole. You know, if we'd have been there, you know, let me ask you, if you're one of the brothers, what would you have done? You may have done it. You know, you can't. It, we've talked about this. It, you put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no telling what you'd do. You know, you look at this and say, well, I'd never do that. You don't know what you'd do. Well, if we were there watching it, we'd be pretty upset. We'd probably say, they, they shouldn't be doing that. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. Now, the pit was empty without water in it. It's a, it's a cistern, that's what it is. They just threw him in there, threw him in one of the pits. Let's just throw him in the pit. You know what they probably figured to do? Just leave him there. What would happen to him? Huh? He'd probably die. He'd probably starve to death. So that's their plan. Now, Reuben says, okay, that's the plan. They think, you know, I'll just sneak him out of there. But look what happened. Then they sat down to eat a meal. Now, what you can't tell from this is that maybe Reuben left. We don't know. Reuben went to do something different. Because Reuben's not there in this next event. Doesn't tell us about it, but we'll see it in just a minute. Now, they hated their brother because he was faithful and they weren't. And he obviously had been picked by God for something. So often when we seek to do what's right, there are not going to be some people like us. You live in this fallen world and you stand for Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? If they hated me, they will what? They'll hate you. I remember watching Crossfire one time. That's a show. I don't even know if Crossfire's on anymore. I don't get to watch TV hardly any anymore. But I remember there was a guy that, you know, in the Crossfire, they always have a guy sort of the conservative, ones, the conservative side and the liberal side, and they usually argue with each other. Well, one night it was on one side there was a pro-life person. On the other side there was a person who was not pro-life. And the non-pro-life guy said, I hate you pro-life People, I hate you. And then he started, he actually said words they had to bleep it out. I, I never seen a guy get so mad on TV because usually it just doesn't happen. But he was hating them because they wanted people to live, the babies to live. He was so angry. And sometimes when you, you stand for what's right, sometimes people get really mad at you. Well, here's Joseph as a whole trying to do what's right because he's done everything his father told him to do. His father said, go up there, do this, do this. And about the only thing that he's done wrong is he probably he probably maybe shouldn't have talked as much, <laughs> you know, because he's telling all these things, y'all going to bow down to me, you're going to do this. Now, the best we can tell, Reuben leaves. Maybe he's going to check on something. We don't know. But notice, while they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes, they looked, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites were coming from Gilead with their camels bearing Aramaic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Now, it's a caravan going in, and they're taking supplies. They're taking things. They're going to go down to Egypt to sell them. And what would happen? People would get the caravans. They would put all the stuff on there. They would go down to another country. They would sell them. They'd buy things down there, and they would bring them back. It was almost a barter thing because you got down there, and you'd say, okay, we got, we got this and this and this, and we got this. Okay, let me swap these things out. We'll take these things back. That was, that's the plans. That's what they did, a lot of bartering, a lot of buying different things. And the caravans, you know, these things, the traveling, it, it wasn't like it is today. It's a long time. When people say, we're going to Egypt to buy some stuff, they wouldn't be back the next week. 
And so there's this caravan of Ishmaelites, that's descendants of Ishmael. And they've been living, or they're coming from Gilead, and they had all this different stuff, and they're on their way down to Egypt. And uh, I think I have a slide here, the descendants of Ishmael going to Egypt. Now watch this. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and to cover up his blood? Now when he first starts to speak, you might say, Okay, just good, Judah. That You're doing good. You know, when you look at this, do you, do you know anything special about Judah? What do you know about him? Okay, that, that, that the, there's going to be a promise later on that the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. And that's Jesus. Jesus from the tribe of Judah. He's called the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords from Judah. But when we look at Judah and his life, we're going to see that Judah's not that great a guy. In fact, wait till you see the next chapter. Don't look at it now, but when you see the next chapter, you're going to go, what kind of guy is that? That's the guy through which the Messiah and the King comes? It is. Now, what does that tell you that God can do? He can do what? He can use anybody. He can take any person. And there are some people who say things like, well, I'm so bad, God never used me. You just don't know the things I've done in the past. You don't know this and this and this. Let me ask you something. Does that matter as far as how God's going to use you if he chooses to use you? You can do anything. God can take your life and use you beyond what you could ask or imagine. It is never too late to say to God, God, I want my life to count for you. I know the past was this. From this point on, I just want my life to count for you. Will God use you? He will. He'll use you for his glory. He's amazing. And so here's here's this here's the scoundrel, Judah, because at first it looks like it looks like he's okay. But what is Judah's plan? Judah said, Oh, let's don't kill him. What do you want to do then? He said, Judah said to his brother, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's don't let's don't kill him and lie about it. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Now listen, you think it's a nicer thing to sell him into slavery? What what kind of life would that be in Egypt? I mean, you look at it and, and a person might say, it'd probably better be dead than to be a slave in Egypt. There's no telling what could hap- to happen to you down there. I mean, to be to lose your freedom, just like that. One minute you're walking up with a nice looking suit on, right? Multicolored thing. And within just a little bit of time, you're a slave with nothing, and you're on your way to Egypt. And as far as you're concerned, you'll never see your family again. In fact, you don't know how long you're going to live. Because you don't know if they get down there, somebody not like you, they just kill you because you're a slave. You're worthless. Somebody's going to sell you when you get down there. they got, hey, you want to buy a slave? we got slaves right here. Light them up. I'll give you that much for this one. That's what his life is fixing to be. This is Judah's plan. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. Let's don't kill him ourselves. Let's just sell him into slavery. He's our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. You know, that doesn't tell anything here, but how do you think that when they go back to their father that they're going to explain what happened to him? Because right here, all they're going to do is sell him into slavery. What is he going to do? Say he ran off? He's going to say somebody took him? What are they going to say? We don't know. It doesn't say anything. Well, look what happens. 
then some Midianite traders. Now, Midianite, sometimes they use interchangeably Ishmaelites, Midianites. Some people think that maybe it's two groups. Maybe they're Ishmaelites and Midianites were coming, or they're all one part of a thing. Or some just say that Midianites and Ishmaelites were the same people. They just got different names because they were the different places they were living. But some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. It sold him for the uh, price of uh, 20, 20, 20 shekels of silver, the price of a young boy, price of a slave. That's what they would do. And so they sold him 20 pieces of silver. Suddenly your life is totally different. I told you that we started this chapter that there's going to be an event that happened that Joseph's life would never be the same again. Never will be. Now you're 17 or 18 years old, and now you're a slave. You actually, up to this point, were a rich guy. Because was Jacob wealthy? Abraham was wealthy, wasn't it? Wasn't Isaac wealthy? Is Jacob wealthy? Jacob's wealthy. They've got so much they have to spread out everywhere. And you are the favorite son of a rich dad. You got good clothes, you got good everything. Your life has been pretty good. You actually think you're going to rule a lot of things before it's all over. And now suddenly, you're a slave. The end of verse 28 says, Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. That's, that's kind of a summary statement. Joseph goes into Egypt. He's going to end up there. And eventually, he will save the nation. God is in control. All events are working. God's plans cannot fail. Let me, let me talk about something for just a second. I think God is in control even in the events of our lives. You understand that this is the plan to save the nation. How? Save them from what? Number one, starvation. Because there's coming a famine. And the bottom line, the way the famine was, and, and as we see it even in Egypt, the famine came throughout that whole part of the world. Uh, they may have all died. If they'd all died, where's the Messiah going to come? No. Second, based on what we're going to see in the next chapter, it seems to me that the longer they were in that region with those Canaanite people, which had all the different names, the Hivites and Hittites and Canaanites and Jebusites and, and all those people, as long as they were there, they continued to get closer and closer to mixing in with them. Wait till you see the next chapter. See what happened with Judah. In fact, listen to this. Chapter 38. It came about that at the time Judah departed from his brethren and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her and she conceived and bore him son. He's already got in with the Canaanite women. Judah has. What about the rest of the guys? I think one of the ways that God saved his people was to remove them from the Canaanite region and put them in Egypt. That's why Joseph's going to be the savior of the people. We'll see how it works. Let me show you something I've got right up here. Remember Genesis 15? Listen to this. I want to read it to you. You don't have to turn back there. Genesis 15, verse 12. This is when Abraham, God was making a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham fell asleep, got, and, and, and he had this dream. This is when God's cutting the covenant. 
But it says, When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. I will judge that nation whom they will serve, and after they will come out with many possessions. That was told to Abraham a long time ago. What nation is it that his people will be slaves for 400 years? It's Egypt. Will they come out with many possessions? They will. It's amazing. The Bible is always perfect and true. Well, they sold Joseph. Now, guess what? Reuben, Reuben comes back. What was Reuben's plan? I'm going to pull him up out of the thing, take him back home. Watch what happens. Verse 29. Now, Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He gets up there and he goes, what? What? To tear garments, as you know, is, is an Eastern culture, and they just take their clothes and they tear them. It's a way of showing extreme anger or extreme sorrow, extreme emotion. He tears his clothes. Because we said, where, where is he? This has messed up everything. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy's not there. As for me, where am I to go? And basically, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? He's not there. What am I going to do? Because ultimately, who's responsible for the family and the boys? Oldest son, Reuben. He's going to have to go back to dad and say, I, uh, Joseph's gone. Joseph's gone. So what am I supposed to do now? You can just see him looking at him. Going, well, we, we sold him to the Ishmaelites. They got 20 pieces of silver. So they have to come up with a plan. So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, Now this all, just, just one, these two verses just flow together. They took Joseph's tunic, they killed a, a goat, they put it all blood all over it, it looked like it's got blood and everything, and they brought it back to their father and they said, Now watch how they say this. We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Now they did two things. Number one, they said, We what? Oh, we just happened to find this. We were going along, and we found this coat on the ground, and there's blood and everything all over it. And we said, you know, that looks a lot like Joseph's. We better take it home to Dad to see if it is. But when they get back, they don't say, would you look at this, Dad, and see if it's our brothers? No. See if it's your son. See, they still hate him. See if it's your sons. Well, he examined it. And he said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. That's the natural assumption. A wild, somebody ate him up. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. What did they do? They deceived Jacob, didn't they? What had Jacob done all his life? Deceived others. See, the name Jacob means what? Deceiver. That's what Jacob was famous for. He went up to Laban and deceived him and got deceived. And you know, the whole, tri the whole truth of the Bible is, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall also reap. So will the flesh reap corruption. You sow will the spiritual reap life. He's reaped corruption because all his life he's been a deceiver. And now he's, going to, he's, now he's getting deceived again. He thinks his son is dead. And he's mourning and he's all upset. And you know, you can just see the guys looking around like, 
Nobody better tell him anything. Nobody better say a word. This is just between us. He's deceived by his sons, about his most important son, Joseph. He thinks he's dead. Verse 34, so Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Now, when people see him, you know, you'd see him. What would they do when they saw him? What would people say? Something really bad has happened. Something really bad has happened. Look how he's dressed. Then all his sons and his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Uh, he, he said, I'm, I'm going to go to my death. I'm going to go to my death. Now, Sheol is the Old Testament word, as you know, for the place of the dead. Uh, Hades is the New Testament word. Same thing. It means place of the dead. Hades does not mean hell. Sheol does not mean hell. Hell is not the place of the dead. The lake of fire is what we call hell, and that's a different place than all of this. Sheol is the place of the dead, place of the dead, heart of the earth. Luke chapter 16, that uh, it's called Abraham's bosom and torments. There's a place in the heart of the earth which they refer to as Sheol or Hades. But it wasn't what we'd call lake of fire. It was a place that people go until the lake of fire and people are placed into that. So it's a totally different thing. He's saying, I'm going to go down to my grave. I'm going to go down to Sheol. I'm going to go down to die. And, 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 and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to go mourning for my son. So he wept for him. Now, you know what's so amazing? There's going to be a time that Jacob will see Joseph again. He doesn't believe that. He thinks he's dead. He thinks I'll never see him again. I'm going to die. I'm going to die never seeing my son again. My favorite son. There's going to come a time. You know, there's going to come a time Jacob is going to say to Joseph, I thought I would never see you again. And not only do I see you, I see your children. Sometimes God does for us that that's better than we ever think. You'd think like, he thinks, I'll never see my son again. Not only does he see his son again, he sees his grandchildren through Joseph. Sometimes in our lives we say, that's never going to happen. You, know, you don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be better than you ever think. I have to be honest with you, there was a time in my life that I thought maybe I'd never get to get married. That's what I thought. Not only did I get married, I got kids. I love it. And hopefully I live long enough to see grandkids. But not right now. But not right now. Right? <laughs> I never thought it. I never thought I might ever get married. And I have a great wife. And now I have kids. I'm blessed beyond what I could even imagine. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You look back at your life and you realize that God has done things beyond what you could imagine. And here's poor old Jacob and he's saying, I'll never see my son again. He doesn't know what he's going to see his son and his grandsons. So beautiful. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar... Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Now he he got sold to a very important man. And Potiphar is works for the for the Pharaoh. He is the captain of the bodyguard. He guards guards all the Pharaoh. So he's rich, powerful man. And we'd say, what a what a what a deal. Well, God's plan cannot fail. He's in control. He's working all things. In fact, Genesis, I think the next one, Genesis fifteen twenty. That's later on, right at the very end. They all come to Joseph, and Joseph says, You meant this for evil. Selling me into slavery, you meant it evil. You wanted to get back at me, but God meant it for good. God used it to save the people. He got them out of Canaan, and he saved them from the famine. 
And he helped them make them grow into a great nation so that he could bring them out. He brought them out where they, they did not even have to lift a finger. The most powerful nation in the world at that time was who? Egypt. Egypt had the most powerful army in the world at that time. And a bunch of slaves are able to leave Egypt without having to even fight. God does it all. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. What have we seen? We've seen this transition passing from Isaac to Isaac and then Esau and from Jacob to Joseph. We're seeing all that. God chooses Joseph to rule. We see God's grace and we see response by the brothers as they hate him. We see God's plan as he ends up in Egypt, which is to save the nation. Let me give you an application or two. The first one, just realize that in God's grace he has saved us. I want you to think about that. It's all of grace. Think about Joseph. Was it what had Joseph done that God would use him to be the savior of the nation? What did Joseph do? Nothing. In fact, we might not like him. We might say he's kind of a smart aleck. He kind of thinks he knows everything. That's what we might think if we knew him. But God in his grace used him, and God in his grace has saved us. I mean, that's really how it works. God, it's, uh, our salvation is not based on our works, but by grace through faith. That's the way God saves us. I uh, always have remember when I do membership training. We just had it today. We had a good number join. It was a lot of fun. But I always, I always raise this point. I say you got two people. This man's name Joe, and this man's name is Ralph. And when Joe is 15, he gets in a gang. And when he's 18, he kills a guy. And he goes to prison. And they try him, and they go through all the stuff. And then when he's about 30, 31, they're going to kill him. He's going to the electric chair. He's going to the, to the you know the lethal injection. And as he's on the way there, he talks to. Uh, to a pastor and he trusts Christ right before he gets to the lethal injection and then they kill him where does he go goes to heaven doesn't he does he deserve to go he doesn't now remember the other guy Ralph when he was 15 he didn't get in a gang he started playing football and he played high school football, and then he went off to college and played college football, and he did good. He went to OSU and did great, and, and, and then he started his own business, and he became, he became a Christian when he was like uh, 16, and, and then uh, he got into a church, and, and uh, he, he, used the, he, he got a lot of money, and he gave money to his church and missions, and he did all kind of things. And then when he, he got older, he got sick, and they said, guess what, uh, Ralph, you're uh, they're dying. Ralph said, that's okay. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and he died. Where did he go? Heaven. Did he deserve to go? No. Nobody deserves to go. Nobody deserves to go. That's why it's called grace. Anybody in this room deserve to go to heaven? None of us. But God in His grace has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay for our sins. And we get to go to heaven, not because of what we do, but because of the grace of God. It is by grace we are saved through faith and not ourselves. It's your gift. It's His gift to us. God saves Israel. By His grace. He puts them down in Egypt to save them. He brings them out of Egypt to use them. Why did He choose Israel? Because they were better than anybody else? He actually says in one place in the Scripture, I chose you, not because you were better, but the truth is you are worse. He says that. You were worse. Second, we see the sinfulness of man. We do, all the way through. We see his brothers. They hated Joseph because God had chosen him. They, look what they did. They hate him. They hurt him. They sell him away into slavery. And they lie to their father. Realize that all of us in this room are capable of what? 
any sin. We've been seeing it in my Sunday school class. We've been talking about temptation and the fact that there's t- we're tempted to do things wrong. Every one of us are capable of doing something wrong. Third, third thing, we want to be faithful as children of God. We want to be faithful. John 1.12, as many as received, I think it's on there, as many as received into them, we gave right to become children of God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. First Corinthians 4.2, more brothers required as stewards to be found what? Faithful. We're supposed to be faithful. We look at Joseph. He was faithful. He was faithful to do whatever his father said. Now, we may not like his personality, but he was faithful. His father said, go up there and find your brothers. When he got to Shechem, he could have quit and came back because they weren't there. But he kept going and he found his brothers. He did everything. And when he was in slavery, when he worked for Potiphar, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. When he was thrown into prison, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. When he was brought out and put before Pharaoh, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was a faithful man. That's one of the things we want to do. We want to be faithful men and women. And last but not least, trust God because His plans cannot fail. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things together for good. That He is working in our lives. And sometimes things look bad. And we could say that they meant that for evil, but God is going to work it for what? For good. He always does that. God saves us by His grace. May we be faithful as we serve Him, living for Him, knowing and trusting Him that His plans cannot fail. Let me pray, and then we'll open up for any questions. Heavenly Father, thank You for the passage. Thank You for the great truths. As we look at this, Lord, we just realize so much is there, that in Your grace You save us, that we see our sinfulness, and yet, Lord, we see that as believers we can be faithful and live for You. Thank You, Lord, that You're working all things according to the counsel of Your will, and You work all things together for good. Thank You that we can trust You in that. Lord, help us learn from the life of Joseph and from all of these events so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does anybody have any questions or anything? We went a little bit long, but any, any questions, comments, anything? Yes. I think you're exactly right. When we look at the life of Joseph and he ends up being a slave, everything he did was right. God blessed him and everything. And and the masters looked down and said, everything this guy does turns to gold. We're going to keep him in the right place at the right time. And he was just faithful to do whatever he said. And, and we're going to see, we're going to, well, we'll, we'll eventually get to it here. We're going to see it in Sunday school a lot quicker. But when the whole thing with Potiphar's wife came up, he said, I have to be faithful to God and to my master. I've worked for him. He has entrusted me to do the job. So you're exactly right. And I think it's very important to what we saw this morning about doing our jobs for the glory of God and serving the Lord as, as, as doing our job as if we're doing it for the Lord. That's a key thing. Good point. Anything else? The time is up. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. And, and use us, Lord, for your glory. May our lives count for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.